0: Welcome to Ex Libris On Air,
1: and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Welcome to Author Voices On Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. In our next book, the author explains that religious leaders and reformers have had a hard time in their day. They've been ridiculed and rejected, and many of those who supposedly accepted them have been either weak in spirit, or manifest enemies in disguise. Islam has not fared much better. Historical accuracy was sacrificed to meet the needs of a divided community. The book we're talking about today, A Closer Look at Islam, attempts to show that the arguments of some critics are based largely on misinformation, and that Islam would be better understood by a more serious study of its scripture, and the lives of some of its soul, or role models, I should say. And here, yep, sure. to, to tell us more about the book, A Closer Look at Islam, is the author and writer, Syed B. Ali. Welcome. Hi. And how are you today? How are you? Good, good. Let's start by asking you to tell us a little of the story of how this book, came into being what started the whole thing for you
2: well as you are aware islam has been in the news quite a lot lately and as you and the news is not good at all considering all the awful things that done by people calling themselves muslims i would say critics are not entirely to blame for their negative assessments of islam The, the the major reason for the book comes about comes about in its negative assessments. You see, Islam has been of interest to non-Muslims for a very, very long time and has often drawn very mixed reviews. However, in the last few centuries, there has been a softening of the tone with people like Albert Gibbon, Thomas Carlyle, Alfonso Lamartine and Mahatma Gandhi giving exceptionally good reviews about Islam. Now, negative views still persist. And as I read some recent books on Islam, by, by critics of Islam, I noticed some serious flaws in the way they go about their study. For example, most have a very literalist, literalist approach. They just pick up a sentence and try to take it very literally. Secondly, they pick verses singly. In, in their study of the Qur'an, they pick verses singly. What does it mean? They ignore the surrounding passage, which would, which would explain the verse the, the that they pick much better. And finally, You see, there are more than 6,000 verses in the Qur'an. They were revealed over a period of a quarter of a century. Most revelations, most of these revelations were prompted by events of the ground. In other words, something happened on the ground, something happened in the land, and there was a revelation of a verse or number of verses. So in other words, there is a relationship between a verse and what's happening in the life of the Prophet. And unless you are familiar with that relationship, unless you are familiar with the historical events that prompted those, uh, those revelations, you won't understand the Qur'an. So basically, those are the things that, uh, that critics have generally ignored, and, and therefore their uh, methodology is essentially quite flawed. That's one thing. And the other thing is that Islamic history itself is another source of great consternation. See there's no, there's no such thing as one, one version of Islamic history. There are several in fact, and uh, a critic can easily pick a story from a version which is not accepted by all Muslims, and that will obviously lead to all sorts of conclusions. So I figured that these flaws are, are things that the general public is totally unaware of. Most people who who read these books and they say, "Ah, oh, Islam is all you know all bad or whatever." So I figured out that something uh, there's there's something seriously wrong with the way these people are looking at Islam, and that was essentially the motivation for my book. That is how I started off.
1: Who do you see as the kind of person, the kind of reader or audience, if I can use that word, that you would like to see reading this book? Who did you write the book for?
2: I like to see. I like to see all all. At the moment, there are a lot of people with uh, quite seriously negative uh, assessments of Islam, and uh, I like them to read it. And I mean, people like Donald Pipes, Robert Spencer—you might have heard of them. There are lots, there are lots of those, and I also like people who support my view to have a, to read my, those, my books to see uh, whether they can take it further from there. Because this is not the end, you know. There's no such thing as the final word on... uh, There's all these things that you, you can develop further. And that's what I like people to share with me.
1: Now, it's clearly a book with a message, or can I even say something to teach the reader. And there's a lot in the book. But if there was one thing that you could choose from the book that you would like the reader to... Take away from reading this book.
2: Keep your keep your mind open. There's, don't trust any any single critic. Establish your own. Establish your own views. Do your own reading, and don't be satisfied with just what one person says, and therefore f- f- uh, fall in line with them. That's what's happening at the moment. A large number of uh, uh, critics on the internet, for example, they just pick up. A, they they hear speeches, books. They read books by people like. Robert Spencer or articles by Donald, uh, sorry, Pipe or whatever, and they say, aha, this must be right, you know, this fellow is an educated person, and they don't do their own examination, their own study, they just follow in line with the rest of the rest of the flock. I really like people to do their own study. I mean, it's like it, it, that's a bit far-fetched. Nobody can spend, you know, so, many, so much time on, on one subject. Nobody has the time. But, but what they can do is to uh, see where the flaws are, and that's what I, I hope that, they, to, that they, will do, they will do.
1: There is a book that is different and unique, but what would you say makes it stand out from the crowd in comparison to other books on similar topics? What makes it different?
2: There aren't many, to be honest, there aren't many books on a similar topic. However, the way it should stand out is uh, it it is logically divided there are it has sections of its own it first of all it addresses the the points of view of several critics shows the flaws in those points then it goes on to explain what what the problems are in in the reading the quran in understanding the quran and it develops those problems by explaining the teachings of the quran then it finally gives some uh, introduction into the lives of some exceptional uh, figures in Islamic history who you could regard as role models. And finally, it uh, gives a final appraisal assessment by producing a list of Quranic verses that summarize Islamic values. So that's how it's very different. It's, lo- it's logical. logically divided into four separate units, four or five separate units. And one can progress starting with the first one, which is a study of the critic's point of view, it goes, it goes further. It has a logical uh, pro- progression, if, as it were.
1: Give me one phrase, or, or a sentence perhaps, that you would use to best describe this book and what it has for the reader.
2: Well, the introduction, introductory chapter tells what's coming. And uh, what the publishers have done is they have been good enough to use it to produce a preview on the internet. So what I would suggest is that the reader should have a look at that preview. He'll have a good idea of what is to follow and he can decide whether he wants to read the book or he doesn't. That's what I would suggest.
1: That's a very good point. Tell me some of of the challenges that you faced when you decided to write this book. And, And obviously, it must have brought it's rewards. Tell us that side of it as well.
2: Well, the most challenging part was among critics of Islam, or for that matter, of any religion, or for that, and any, any philosophy or any system. There are people who, who are genuinely uh, critical, or, and there are also some people who bear malice. The same thing with Islam. There are the, among the critics of Islam, there are those uh, who are sincerely and honestly believing uh, what they say, and there are others who are, sort of, they bear some malice to Islam. And the hard part was trying, trying not to uh, be, be rude or offensive in any way to those uh, who, who really bear, don't have a good feeling for Islam, you know, so bear a bit of malice rather than just uh, arriving at their conclusions on the basis of pure study. Uh, that, that that i think was the most difficult part and probably took the most consuming in terms of time and effort because you have to be very careful what you say about it. even though you know that some, somebody is not uh, is not very well inclined to you you have to be very careful what you say about how you say about how you go about saying it that that i think was the most challenging part and what was and, the, uh, what was the
1: best part for you what what brought its rewards
2: uh i think the best part was uh, Giving an account of some of the uh, ex- uh, exemplary figures in Islam, see, see uh, because any philosophy, any system is best understood, I think, by the people who, who profess it. Uh, for example, capitalism, you know can be best understood by people who are capitalists. communism can best under- and similarly, people who, re- who have really practiced Islam in the best manner whose knowledge and understanding of Islam, whose way of life, whose extraordinary uh, character, uh, dovetails with the teachings of Islam. That was the part that 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 I felt most uh, enthusiastic about, uh, including in my book.
1: Do you have any new books in the planning um, or any ideas or plans for any future books?
2: Not, not very concrete, but basically... Uh, Considering that, uh, you see, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of melting point in all religions, uh, for example, ethics and morals, and that's an area worth investigating because there's not, no difference in, uh, for example, in what Judaism and Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and all the rest of the religions teach about how you should go about treating your neighbor and your, uh, your, your relatives and your uh, countrymen. Your uh, people who are outside the fold, people who don't follow your faith—they all—they all bear the same message, and uh, it's not well known. Uh, so that's something that could be uh, that could be taken up. It's very very interesting.
1: Uh. Absolutely. Now, in closing, is there anything yes. that we haven't covered so far that you feel is important, and that you would like our listeners and readers to your book to know?
2: I like people to be uh, not to be not to uh, follow, you know, the opinions of others. You know, that, that's a, I don't do that myself, and that's why I'm very. Uh, my own attitude to other religions is, has always been uh, one of acceptance. I like people to think for themselves, read for themselves, and find out what the uh, truth is, and how how much uh, they can share. That's what I like people to do, rather than just uh, ditto what a particular uh, scholar has uh, opined or has, you know, laid out. Because that's that's the most important thing, and that's that's really what's important. What might be useful in uh, bringing humanity to, together. It doesn't matter whether you are a, you are a Catholic or you are a, you, know, you are a Buddhist or a, you are a Muslim or whatever. The Important thing is what what binds binds us together is that, and that's the thing that we all should endeavor, and that's what I hope people will try to understand that there is a possibility to liaise with Islam, to, uh, to to communicate and converse with Muslims without ruffling any feathers, and that we have a lot of commonality. There's a lot of lot common as far as as I told you earlier. There's there's tremendous amount of common stuff in ethics and morals. And I have produced a fair bit of that in my book, as far as my own knowledge goes. So uh, I really hope people to try to go on those lines and uh, do their own uh, own bit rather than uh, just trying to see the opinions of others.
1: Thank you for that. A Closer Look at Islam is published by Equilibris and is available yes. direct from the publisher at equilibris.com and all good bookstockers. Once again, many thanks to my guest today, the author Syed B. Ali. This is Rick Bell for Togonet Radio. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Syed.
2: Okay, thanks a lot, Rick. Thank you very, very much. (laughs) Thank you for your time.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Welcome back to Ex Libris.
1: Welcome to Author Voices On Air and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book, My Personal History, My Story, is our journey in life for the author who wanted to share with her grandchildren who she really was because in 10 years' time to them... She feels that she will be an old lady. But she wanted to let them know what made her happy, sad and shocked. And here to share her story and to talk about her new book is the author Janice Costello. Welcome Janice and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today.
4: Thank you Rick for bringing me.
1: Now I mentioned in my introduction there, this is a very personal story. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to make this personal story into a book? Uh,
4: Well, my mother died suddenly when I was 30, and it dawned on me that what did I know about her? And I thought that was really sad that I can't recall the things that made her happy or sad or, or much about her. So I've got personal history of, like, ancestors that came from overseas. I've got letters from them. And then there's, like, this big hole of nothing. So I just wanted to let them know how life was, how I treated it, and what made me tick.
1: Who did you write the book for, as far as the public reader is (laughs) concerned?
4: Uh, Look, there's things that aren't in the book, which is about my husband dying a long time ago of cancer. And life was really, really tough for a while there. Um, When he died, I had a 13-year-old and twin 11-year-olds, and one of which had a learning problem and health problems. And life was just where, like, my life became like nothing, you know. I was just a robot doing what I had to do, cooking meals, washing clothes, dropping people here and there. And and then after two of them had left home, it made me think, who am I? So I'd gone and done a course um, at adult education on stepping stones, And during that course, we had to do several um, (coughs) things that went on. And when I heard the other people giving their answers, I thought, I'm not in such bad condition after all. And it really did a good boost to my confidence. Um, And then later on, I went to Toastmasters, which is quite a painful experience, (laughs) but you learn a lot and from there i went to teaching in a state school uh grade six students uh for one term of the year just for an hour and a half on public speaking and personal development and then after that um i did a course i ran a one at u3a and this is where i started to write this sort of thing so that other people were interested in it but they didn't know how to go about it. That, that's how it sort of got underway.
1: Clearly uh, been a learning curve for yourself but from a reader's point of view what would you say that you would like the reader to learn or take away from reading this book?
4: Um, each week when I did it with the adults um, and I'm now doing it with some like people over eighty, and it's amazing the stories they can tell, but i tell I tell a story that takes like a couple of minutes and then they're to go home and write something that that has made them recall in their life. So each chapter is a challenge for them. To think of something in their life where they've had to meet a challenge or overcome something, or something funny or something stupid they did, just just to let um, ancestors know you were a real person.
1: Now you talked about briefly about the history of your family and about how you had ancestors from other countries and so on. Tell us just a little about uh, when in history this book takes place, mostly, and where about. Is it where you are currently in Australia, or is part of the story elsewhere in the world?
4: Um, No, it's in Australia. I'm I'm in Victoria, although I lived in New Guinea for six years. Uh, I don't think I've got a story in there of New Guinea. And I haven't got any stories of my husband as well. I'd actually written things beforehand about that, but I didn't want this to be a sad story. If you're going to write something, you don't want your ancestors thinking, well, she was a grumpy old person, wasn't she?
1: One thing I can say is certainly a very... um uplifting story if i can say that what were some of the challenges that you faced writing this book and tell me also about some of the rewards that it brought you
4: far as running a course at u3a and now at an elderly citizens club um it's just so good to hear these stories from older people that they talk about things that like young people today won't even know about.
1: The main inspiration in the beginning was that you wanted your grandchildren to know you about the life, about the good times, the bad times, what made you happy and sad and so on. How has this book been received by them?
4: Uh, Fine, and with the family it has been treated fine too. I sort of had to explain that it's mainly the son I've got with me that's got the learning problems. He's the main one that's mentioned in the book, because this is all what happened after two boys had left home. It was after I had to think about, who am I? And so just to show that you can make a life for yourself if you put a bit of effort into it. And, like, I'm still running two courses, one at U3A and one at a um, carers' group, at the moment, and, you know, I'm just amazed at my age that I'm still useful to the community.
1: Well, youthful and useful, I would say. (laughs) As an autobiography, which this book certainly is, how would you say this differs from other similar books?
4: I have written a few paragraphs before each two stories telling you how to write how to, uh, different ways of presenting it, um, how to make an interesting opening to your story. Um, People just need to know how to do it. Okay. Now, in
1: closing, is there anything that you would like to add that you feel we haven't covered yet and that you feel is important for our listeners to know about your book?
4: This is the first, like, book I've had published so it's all very daunting and (laughs) and sort of a little bit of lack of faith in myself but um, yeah but I haven't done it for my glory I've done it to help people write their story.
1: Well the one point you've made yourself during the interview is that writing this book has inspired you to make Changes not only to your life but to the lives of other people, and you've certainly inspired yeah. that. And as you say, as you see other people come out of themselves and other people yeah. tell their story, then that is obviously bound to feel, make you feel that you've done so much and you've done something worthwhile. And I,
4: well, it's great to see them happy and. You know, they can't wait for me to get there each week. And like, it's not who's the smartest or who isn't. Everybody's got an interesting story to tell.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me today. My Personal History, My Story is published by Ex Libris and is available direct from the publisher at com, and all good book stockers, Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, the author Janice Costello for joining me today, and I wish her every success with her book. Thank, Thank you, you John. very much, Rick. This is Rick Bell for Torgonet Radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
1: Once every few years does a show come along that makes you think,
0: makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world. And to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas. Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Quasar Mirror, and the author who joins me from Florida is Stephen McCoy. Welcome, sir, to the program. Hi. This is. Uh, this looks like a science fiction novel. I'm guessing that's possibly the area. Tell me a little bit about Quasar Mirror.
5: Well, Quasar Mirror. It's a science fiction, adventure, action adventure. that uh, actually takes place in the year twenty-one fifty-one, um, with a crew of six that's going to be launching and to mine uh, gold and diamonds uh-huh. on the moon of Jupiter.
0: You have, uh, obviously, a creative, uh, a creative interest, and, and have you always been fascinated by things scientific? I guess there's a lot of science in this, in this book novel, in this novel.
5: Yes, I try to go with a lot of science.
0: And was there a lot of research in order to make this believable to the audience? Uh, how long did it take you to complete Quasar Mirror?
5: Uh, Quasar Mirror, it was a working project, uh, approximately four to four and a half years
0: you have I'm looking at the the way the the chapters are the the pages are listed you have listed them uh, by I guess day of the missions uh, mission day 20 and then mission day 143 would this be something I would compare to maybe a Star Trek Enterprise or or any of those uh, d- video or or movie presentations uh, yes and did that have an influence on the storyline
5: uh, it was uh, somewhat, pretty much. It's uh, and uh, one of my best movies is Armageddon. Okay, so that's of yeah. Where I got some of the information from.
0: Osprey Crew. That is your main your main focus. Is is that the correct understanding? Who they are and what they are.
5: Yes. Uh, the crew consists of six. The captain, Captain Winters, his XO is uh, Thomas, and his and the executive, I mean the science officer, is uh, Susan Winters, who's actually married to the captain. Mm-hmm. Then we also have uh, two other crew members, Mario and John and one payload specialist, Denise.
0: In crafting this, you have uh, certainly listed a number of characters. Are there characters that stand out from the rest that are your main focus, or is this a general uh, buddy movie, if you want to put it in a buddy movie uh, uh, characteristic or, or theme?
5: Well, the main character will be kind of like Susan. She goes through a lot of conflicts with the captain. And especially uh, with the uh, duration of the uh, mission, it takes uh, 17 months. So she has to put up with, with the captain in more ways than one. Right. And,
0: and, and the, the storyline itself is this, if you took it out of the future tense, if you took just the bare bones of the story, would that exist in our current generation, or is there really so much scientific and uh, conjecture and forward thinking in the novel that it really needs to be said in the future? Or how would you describe this?
5: Uh, it would have to definitely be in the future. And I'll pick the year 2151, uh, figure the advances of uh, rockets... And hibernation then having a four crew on 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 one of the moons of Jupiter and uh, that it's a base station that will help them supply resupply the ship on the return route
0: Gotcha you you have told me that this is your first, attempt at being an author, have you always had the desire to be an expresser of creative things?
5: Uh, Yes. I always like to tell, I mean, like good stories, and I always like to tell good stories. Everybody said I have a real creative mind.
0: And this one took you a few years to complete. Did you work it uh, or put the story together uh, by developing the characters individually or developing the storyline first with a rough outline? How did you create the the contents of your first novel?
5: I well, basically started out developing the characters, then making a the basic outline. It actually started I actually started out as try to write it as a screenplay. But then it I had so many different ideas, and I had to make it into a novel.
0: The title, what is the significance of that? What does it mean, Quasar Mirror?
5: Quasar. Quasar Mirror. Quasar is a pulse of energy that can be generated from space. And the mirror is the opposite effect. So in other words, the Quasar Mirror pushes the whole ship crew back into the present day.
0: Hmm. Okay. I'm also noticing on day 20, you have one of the characters addressing Mario and saying uh, swine in roasted pork tenderized with beer and herbs slow cooked. And then you talk about them reading off the rest of the recipe and the feast. Most of the ingredients, potato salad, horseradish, chicken dumplings, um, dark forest cake, is uh, those are things I can relate to today, and that's uh, one thing that right. caught my attention about your novel. There's uh, ways that we can identify everything's not compressed or, or dehydrated in your in your uh, descriptive of what they were participating in.
5: Yes. I try to give it uh, human flavor. You know, I, you know, I think the human being would still remain the same, but the science around them definitely would be changing or advancing
0: Absolutely, it would. You have, in completing this, you, you you mentioned that you started off to write a play or a novel that would be adaptable to movie, maybe a movie script. What is the most exciting thing that the characters engage in in your novel that you think will, will really captivate the reader?
5: Well, what really is... As soon as they get through their mission, this one, the quasar mirror hits them, and it actually pushes them back in time, back to year uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem about it, throughout the journey, they're supposed to pick up the food and water pods so they can resupply them with food and the water. Since they got pushed back into time, now they have to become... Masters of Survival.
0: And is that a learning process all over again for these adventurers?
5: Right. They had to learn to survive with food and water they have on hand. And plus, they had to go to uh, take rotations on uh, hibernation.
0: And of Three the, months at a time. And the characters that you have developed, which of those do you identify with the most or feel like it uh, perhaps is someone that you can identify with, and which will the reader think they will identify with the most?
5: Hmm, that's a tough question. Got, uh, I think the most person that would identify with would probably be Susan. And... The character I can identify myself as with the XO, Thomas.
0: Thomas. As, right. as an author and a creative person, do you journal by any chance? A lot of my authors will keep notes on things that are happening around them and maybe adapt them to a, a novel later on. Is that something you do, or is this something that just flows out as a creative process?
5: I, I do it both ways. I mean, whatever happens, you know if I see something happens in science, and then uh, I' try to use it, develop it, try to make it more advanced, so that a way it be more futuristic,
0: and as a child. Uh, I know my authors are influenced by other people, by books and by experiences, some in the theater and so on. Is there any movie or book that you read or were introduced to as a child that perhaps has uh, given you inspiration for what you're doing now?
5: Um, No, not really on that part. I'm more like a person that loves movies.
0: And the movies, uh, I guess science fiction, has been one of those main inspirations for you.
5: That's correct. Star Wars. Uh,
0: Yes. And uh, are there any goals that you haven't achieved yet as far as an author? I know this is your first book, so I I don't know if a Pulitzer Prize is something that you uh, foresee in the near future. What are your immediate goals besides getting this out to the public? Uh, Are you thinking that this might be adaptable to a movie, perhaps?
5: Uh, yes. Uh, I already try to work on that part, too. And one other goal is to try to become a better writer.
0: It definitely and comes with experience and with, with practice.
5: Right. I'd like to have myself a challenge.
0: This is uh, your first novel. Is there another novel in your future? Are you working on a, maybe a sequel to Quasar Mirror?
5: No, I'm working on a different novel. I'm probably but uh probably a little bit more than a quarter way finish uh, it's a detective novel.
0: Well, congratulations on the completion of this—the very first in a in a novel, and hopefully a series of novels that will inspire the reader. This one, titled Quasar Mirror, my author Stephen McCoy, has joined me from Florida in the United States of America. Stephen, my listeners will want to get a copy of this and enjoy the read and the fast pace that you have created for them. How do they do so?
5: Well, they can uh, go to Amazon. They can go to. Uh, Google, it's available online, Barnes & Noble, and uh, the Experts bookstore, they can get it there.
0: Excellent. And I think you are also planning to launch a website in the future so they can look for you under your name, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, McCoy, double C-M-C-C-O-Y, Stephen McCoy, and uh, find not only information about this novel, Quasar Mirror, but also anything you attempt to do in the future, and I wish you the best of luck and hope we can talk to you again when the next in the series of uh, efforts are released.
5: Okay, it's been my pleasure.
0: Thank you, Stephen, for joining me today and sharing your story. For Ex Libras On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors right here on Ex Libris On Air.